Have you noticed? Change is in the air. The leaves on the trees have turned and every day the wind and the rain create a beautiful tapestry. Light is less and the nights grow longer and longer. This great turning, this sacred darkness is a time of gestation, a time for healing, to contemplate nature and consider our place among creation. It's a time of preparation, of reflection about the great spiral that is this vast universe whose force brings us together. It is a time to be mindful and intentional about our deepest desires and concerns for ourselves, for our families, our communities, for the world. This is an opportunity to observe. In this liminal time, we are invited to embrace the darkness as nourishment, to reflect and prepare for the journeys ahead. This morning, I'm thinking about the wild geese and how even when I can't see them, I hear them honking overhead, announcing the great turning of the seasons and reminding me of my own migrations, great and small. When I hear the wild geese, they remind me that for some of us, moving towards the light energizes us, creating rituals and festivals that beckon and celebrate the return of the light shifts our focus away from the darkness. But what if we celebrated the darkness? What if we allowed ourselves to embrace it and be embraced by it? What if the point is to give ourselves permission to rest, to reflect, so that we may heal? Might we need a new narrative about darkness as divine? A narrative of resistance and resiliency that is about a collective spirit, a cultural shift where rest and reflection are so necessary for healing to take place, for new growth to happen. Might we need a counter-narrative to self-sacrifice, to burnout, to incessant movement and busy work that keeps us from taking stock, from looking back, from reaching out and reaching within, from resting when we are tired and not when we burn out and get so sick. Many years ago, while dropping off donations at a thrift store before my next migration, I found a postcard with the lessons from the geese. You might have seen it. It's divided into two columns. On the left are the facts, and on the right, the lessons. I'd like to share it with you. Fact. Each goose flaps its wings As it flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the birds that follow. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. The lesson. People who share a common direction and sense of community can get where they are going, maybe not quicker, but definitely with more joy and feeling connected because they're traveling on the energy of one another. 
fact. When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. By moving back into formation, it can take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. Lesson, if we have as much sense as a goose, we stay in formation with those headed where we want to go also. We are willing to accept their help, their leadership, as we give our help to others. Fact, when the lead goose tires, it rotates back into the formation and another goose flies to the point position. Lesson, it's necessary to take turns and share our gifts and skills as community leaders. We need one another. Fact, when a goose gets sick or wounded, two geese drop out of formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with it until it's able to fly again. Then they launch out with a new formation and catch up with the flock. Lesson, if we have as much compassion as the geese, we will support each other, especially during difficult times. And when we are strong enough, we help the one who is tired. Fact, the geese honk to encourage those in front to keep up their speed. Lesson, honk. Honk, 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 honk. Yes, amen. Honk, 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 honk. (laughs) The lesson is to make sure that our words and our actions encourage and uplift each other. There is much power in being each other's cheerleaders, especially when someone is new Maybe they just joined a committee. Maybe it's a person stepping up into a leadership position for the first time. So when I found this little treasure of the lessons from the geese, it really spoke to me. Because I've always been building community. Always either been the new one or been one to welcome new people into community. This made me think about shared ministry, right? It's a shared journey. So the work of committees, ministry teams, that is community building. And that's where we can apply the lessons from the geese. How we focus on doing, many times rushing through agenda items and decision making, Maybe we get so excited about designing new programs, scheduling more meetings, and seldom intentionally slowing down to look back, to check in with each other. Who is tired? Who needs to take a turn? Who is going down? Can we go down with them to support them? to companion them, to help them heal. This winter, we have an opportunity to include embracing this liminal time as a spiritual practice. And Shannon Harper, co-director of the UUA's Lifespan Faith Engagement Office, has developed a liminal action plan. Aren't they wonderful? 
Shannon writes that in the midst of lingering pandemic anxiety and uncertainty about the future, we want to create change. We want to see movement. And when the progress is slow, we feel frustrated. She reminds us of that book, All the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss, and says that many congregations are in this place right in the middle, the waiting place. Does this resonate with you? The waiting place for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for the hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. She writes, first we were waiting for a vaccine. Now we're waiting to see how effective it will be in the long term. Waiting for life to be normal, air quotes, again. Of course, our congregations and communities are looking to start up in a more normal way. And the words strategic plan and visioning are being talked about. We are so anxious to get back to normal to start our programs back again, thinking that we have lost so much ground. But in this liminal time during this pandemic, we have been changed, haven't we? Our communities have been changed. The same formulas and landscaping we used prior to the pandemic are not necessarily going to work now. It's going to take time, patience, and experimenting, or as I like to say, experiment learning, to learn how to create these new gardens, new projects, new communities we're dreaming about. But that doesn't mean that it isn't important to work in the liminal time. Enter the liminal time action plan. This is something you do before the main event to warm up to keep moving, to not become stagnant. It only requires, yes, that's right, baby. It only requires some of your energy because if you give it your all, you'll be too tired and burned out. And when the time comes to landscape the main garden, you will be tired. During a liminal time, it's important to recover, to prepare yourself mentally, physically, spiritually for the job ahead. It's also time to visualize what is it that you want to create and to prepare ourselves by learning new skills, dusting off old ones, and practice, practice, practice. A good liminal action plan is temporary. Be clear about what is only going to be a stopgap measure And with success and interest, it might be transplanted into the new landscape. Being temporary allows us to experi fail and learn. A good plan is also trauma and grief informed. At every shift of the way, we're still in the midst of a traumatic experience and people interpret and deal with trauma and grief in different ways. We know that in this community, in addition to the pandemic, there have been many losses in terms of leadership, in terms of morale, and that there is a great change taking place right now. This is a time that we deserve to prepare 
to reflect, to take stock, to heal. A good plan is also responsive. Ask, listen, let go of any assumptions about what you think people want. Ask them. And don't do work no one asks you to do just because you think you should. It's okay to invoke the holy no. A good plan is relational. We must value people's relationships and how they show up. Over protocols, schedules, and historical systems, people first. A plan should also be playful. I keep saying there is joy in this work. Believe me, I know it sounds difficult. I know it sounds like we'll never see the results. And the result is in the process, in the relationship building. That is where we see the transformation. Play is an underestimated part of healing, recovery, and relationship building. Let us find ways to play. It's okay to do activities or events whose only purpose is to be fun and lighthearted. A plan needs to be efficient, and I don't mean succinct, so that energy is not wasted and a little bit of effort is made to go a long way. Volunteer and staff time should be time spent for a purpose, not performance, unless you're the music director. (laughs) A plan should be shared. Share ideas, share work. Let's not expect the same volunteers or staff that have been holding it all together to keep doing so. Ask for help. Offer to help. Everyone can pitch in. And always, always let us offer gratitude. And a plan must be forgiving. Things will not always work out the way we imagine. We will not always show up the way we want. And yet we can be gentle with ourselves and with each other. We can adapt when needed. And we can always keep looking for new possibilities. So what if we saw this time between active crisis mode and whatever landscape or congregational life will become as a gift, as a time to slow down, assess, process our trauma and grief, and do the necessary healing to be healthy, vibrant, and life-affirming beacons of our faith? What if the theology of the darkness divine in this liminal time were about connection, play, joy, healing, forgiveness, not just busy work? Here are some prompts for reflection and introspection within your ministry teams and as part of your own spiritual discernment and practices. Let us take in these questions for further reflection. What did you do when the pandemic came? What did you salvage and what did you let go of? How did you offer help? Where did you take refuge yourself? What new skills did you learn? How are you making space 
for grief, for healing and introspection. What are you noticing as you move through this time? What feels muddy and rough? This is the perfect time to name griefs, emotions, anxieties, worries, as well as positive noticings. Today and tomorrow, our congregation, which is like a garden, won't look exactly like the one before because we have been changed. What do we want our community to look like in the future? To feel like? What old and new values and aspects are important to include in this new design? Who do you want to visit and delight in this garden, in this our congregation? Who would you like to make their home here among us? Who will you share in the care and upkeep of it? Are there other gardens, other congregations you want to be connected to? Are there skills, materials, or tools that need to be acquired in order to make this vision a reality? As we journey together on our way to what we can only imagine, may we be gentle with ourselves and one another. May we embrace darkness and liminality as an invitation to dream and imagine what could be. And may we heed the lessons from the geese as we take turns moving into leadership positions, allowing those who are tired to rest and be propelled forward by our shared energy to stop and with a partner or two, tend to those who are hurt and stay with them until they feel better, until they can renew energies and join us again. And may we hunk as often as we can to encourage each other and express our gratitude and love for one another in this, our beloved community. Hong Kong and amen. <laughs>